Hello, and welcome to Political Traction. After two catastrophic losses to the Conservatives and NDP, the Ontario Liberal Party is at another crossroads as they prepare to pick their next leader. Last week, a group of 40 provincial Liberals, ranging from prominent members and organizers to former cabinet ministers, made headlines by releasing a letter asking Green Party leader Mike Schreiner to cross the floor and run for the Liberal leadership. Proponents of the Draft Mike campaign say that the Liberals' existential crisis requires a radical solution, while critics inside the party and out call it foolish and desperate. Today on Political Traction, I'm joined by Kate Graham, a former leadership candidate and liberal candidate in London North Centre, who signed the letter, as well as Sharon Carr, a liberal strategist and political analyst on CBC's Power and Politics and iHeartRadio, who has vocally criticized the campaign. I spoke with both Kate and Sharon to hear both sides of the Draft Mike story. This is Political Traction. Kate, thanks for so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Before we get to the draft mic letter that everybody's writing about, I want to talk more generally about the OLP rebuild. Uh, you played a central role in the last campaign as co-chair of the party platform, and you were a candidate in London North Centre. With a few months of hindsight, can you tell us about what resonated and where the party failed to connect and basically what work you have cut out for you right now? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I've ran for the Ontario Liberal Party twice now. I ran in 2018 as a first-time candidate and then uh, ran again in 2022, as you said. And I mean, they were obviously totally different campaigns. The first one was, I think, really a you know, a question of uh, the Ontario Liberal Party, should it continue to govern? And after 15 years, there was a tiredness. This most recent campaign was quite different. Um, I think all of the opposition parties tried their darndest to make it about Ford, um, specifically response to the pandemic. Uh, we put forward a really ambitious platform addressing all kinds of sort of post-pandemic challenges Ontarians have from healthcare, long-term care, education, and so on. But um, the big takeaway for me and in reflecting back on the campaign was it was very, very hard to get people excited about it. You know, the press was reporting on day one that Ford would have a majority and nothing happened during the campaign to shake people of that view. So when Election Day came and went, we saw the re the lowest number of turnouts and a larger majority for the current government. So um, I often kind of think back to that day is like it sort of left a scented chill down my spine. Like when we see so few people believing that politics is important enough to turn out or even in the wake of like very disruptive, you know, catastrophic loss of life and so on, not feeling engaged or motivated by any of the options. I think it's a a real wake-up call for parties and those who want to see a, a stronger democracy, a stronger electoral um, landscape, and certainly strength within their own parties. It, it's a wake-up call that we need to be very open to doing things differently. Well, this letter certainly suggests that you're willing to do things differently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you, can through, you tell eh? our listeners? <laughs> can you tell our listeners about what you're hoping to achieve? Sure. So uh, on Sunday, a group of um, about forty Ontario Liberal Party members put out a letter to uh, try to convince Mike Schreiner, the leader of the Ontario Greens, to run for the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party. And I would place the origin of this. Um, actually, I'd, I'd put it squarely in Steve Fagan's lap. He wrote an article uh, last fall that said, hear me out, Mike Schreiner should run for the leadership. And I can remember, I think like many, reading that thinking, what a bizarre idea. But it got 
everybody talking, I felt like every time I was in a room with uh, an Ontario liberal, it was like, well, did you see that? Did you read it? What would that look like? What could that mean? And so there's been a ton of quiet conversation about this idea. And the hope this week was to push that discussion way out into the open. You know, the purpose of a draft campaign is to get people talking, to feel out how would they respond to it. So we put a letter out there out in the open to hear out how people would perceive this idea. What does the general public think? What do liberals think? What do Greens think? And, uh, you know, I think we've done a great job at that. It's been um, probably more discussion about the Ontario Liberal Party leadership than I can remember maybe ever <laughs> this week. So uh, in terms of getting people thinking and talking and uh, I hope excited about what might be ahead, um, it's been really exciting to see that unfold over the last couple of days. There's a perspective that I've heard, not not uniformly held, but I've heard a few people share this idea that there's a, a succession culture in the Ontario Liberal Party. And pe people would point to Stephen Del Duca as an example of that, that he won a brokered convention, not necessarily because of his qualities, but because it was his turn. And I wonder, is this letter an attempt to short circuit that culture? Um. I mean, I think all parties, not just Ontario Liberals, like tend to favor and tend to set up processes, especially like leadership selection that do favor people with deep roots inside the party. Um, you know, I ran in the last leadership race in 2020 as a relative newcomer. You know, I'd, I'd ran, I'd run in one election, but my history with the party was no longer than that. Um, I'd never even been to a leadership convention before I was there running for one. And uh, it was really difficult. You know, it's it is set up to build on that longevity of relationships. And I think Stephen, you know, he'd, uh, he'd given literally his heart and soul uh, for many, many years to the party and the relationships and strengths um, during a leadership race really showed that. And of course it didn't, you know, for better or worse, you know, did not translate uh, during the general election to, to being a winning recipe. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I do think part of it is about parties needing to open up Um I think, you know, it's, I want to see Mike as the leader and I'm happy to talk about the great qualities that I think that he would bring to this role. But I think more broadly, the letter also signifies that it is time to open beyond our traditional base. Fewer than 1% of Ontarians are member of any political party. And if that's the only group that we're drawing on as potential leaders, we are missing out on a huge pool of talent uh, out in the province of Ontario. So we need to signal that we are ready to change. We're open to newcomers. We're welcoming to people outside the party. And, uh, and it strengthens the leadership race for everybody to have people with deep roots in the party, but also newcomers. In the past, you've referred to reaching out to a new generation of voters, and you're kind of talking that language here, too. We've spoken a lot on this podcast about a generational divide, um, climate change being one of the biggest issues that young people uh, tick off as an important issue for them, especially compared to older older voters. Has the Ontario Liberal Party done enough on, on climate? Uh, I mean, there's lots of things that the Ontario Liberal Party has done. It's part of the reason I'm, I joined the party, um, you know, getting rid of coal-fired plants, for example, like the single largest reduction in the, in the country's history. So lots of successes, but like, is it enough? Of course not. You know, there's way more that needs to be done. And I think the urgency, the ticking clock, younger people, I believe, and I uh, witness kind of feel that more loudly perhaps than other generations. I'm a, I teach at uh, Huron University College and Western. So I'm surrounded by young people all the time. And without question, climate is one of, is one of perhaps 
tightly tied right now with housing, but like it is a top and highly motivating political issue for them. So it's really important that we build platforms and propose visions that speak to that urgency. And I hope draw them more into the political fold than what we've seen in terms of turnout uh, in the last couple of races. Some critics have asked what the letter says about the party's ability to nurture young talent within the party, though. What does the party need to do to make sure young people find a future within its ranks? I think most people get involved in partisan politics because of an issue that matters to them. You know, they decide that, you know, issues at their kids' school or their healthcare system or the climate crisis or housing, something is important enough that they don't just want to sit back on the sidelines. They want to get involved. They want to shape a platform. They want to support candidates who are championing their vision. Maybe they want to run themselves. I think that's always been true, and it is the path forward for the Ontario Liberal Party. We need to be very clearly focused on the things that people that matter most to people and then providing lots of avenues uh, for people to get engaged. It's actually one of the things that I think liberals could really learn from the Green Party. It is a very grassroots oriented party, in part because they've had to be. Uh, you know, they've been able to do a lot with a little, but meaningful opportunities at the riding level in terms of shaping the direction the party is going. They have a fabulous culture uh, in that respect. And that's one of the things that I hope we can see Mike uh, bring as leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Yeah, when you mention the issues that uh, that young people care about, climate is obviously a, a, an issue that the Green Party makes a a large uh, a large part of its hay over. Uh, but housing is another uh, issue that uh, you know they they put forward a very progressive housing plan in in, in previous uh, on previous yes. platforms. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about Mike and why you you know why you want to throw your support behind him. Sure. Well, I first, uh, so I don't, I've only met Mike in person uh, a few times. So this is more observing from afar. Um, I met him for the first time. I was sitting in a lobby outside a radio show. We were there, you know, representing different parties for a discussion and the warmth and openness uh, to people, regardless of if they were a part of his party or not, you can feel it from him. Um, he has built a career being well known for building great relationships across party lines, something that we need to see uh, a lot more of. And then I also think he has been a very brave leader on a couple of issues in the last campaign. You know, they bested every other party on things around uh, income inequality, you know, ODSP and OW rates. Um, their housing plan was phenomenal. Obviously, lots of climate initiatives that other parties have periodically borrowed or uh, expressed profound agreement with. But there's lots of places where they've been uh, real policy leaders. So I think he has he's done great things in the role that he's in. Um, I also believe that one of the things that Ontarians want to see in politics very badly and part of why so many people are turned off is the enormous negativity, division, partisanship. Mike strikes me and I've always... You can, again, sort of feel this authenticity in him. It's not about the party for him. You know, he loves and you can see the loyalty for uh, Greens, but he's in politics because there's certain things he wants to see changed in the world. He cares about the climate crisis. He cares about inequality. Uh, he cares about people being able to live a great life. He's been very vocal on things like privatization um, in the healthcare system. So I think it's that very clear, demonstrative, authentic commitment to policy issues that uh, Ontarians care about and where 
to be blunt about, like there's been huge agreement between Greens and Liberals on many of those things for a long time. So I think he's he's an experienced, uh, time-tested, uh, well-respected leader. And I think he stands to not only express something really important about Ontario Liberals, if he chooses to enter the race, but also really signal a departure from traditional partisanship where parties are basically you know, primarily interested in their own, they kind of look inwards instead of looking across for opportunities to work together. He could personally embody the, the coming together of political movements around shared ideas if he chooses to do this. And I, for one, find that like extremely exciting. It, it's it's definitely interesting, and uh, I would say that if this week, if this week is any is any indication, then it's exciting. It, it is also exciting. We're gonna we're definitely gonna see an exciting convention, an exciting leadership race. I wanted to get yeah. your thoughts on the leadership, the, the leadership race at a higher level. So the Liberal Party has decided to make membership free. If yeah. the next convention moves to a one member, one vote system, which I've heard talked about, like quite uh, quite often in the lead up to this is something that's very likely going to happen does that combination leave the party open to other fireworks like activist insurgency i'm thinking about what we saw with the ndp in bc a few months ago is i mean the combination of a of free membership and one member one vote seems to basically you know swing the gate open and say anybody anybody who wants to come in with their coalition can can have a, a, a you know a, a pretty historically significant say in the future of uh, future of the Ontario Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is designed, and I think should be a process that is as open and engaging as possible to as many people as possible. And we have to have faith that when um, democratic systems are set up and people have an opportunity to come together and make a choice, that that choice will be a good one at that moment in time. I am really hopeful that. Um, in choosing how we run the leadership race, that it is, again, as open and uh, and accessible as possible. And I do think, you know, who knows how many people end up uh, formally putting their hat in the ring and what um, sort of potentially new groups of people might be motivated to come in and support their candidate. I think that's all well and good. Leadership races are about way more than just who's the leader. Um, usually, and I think at their best, they're moments for parties to come together identify the things that matter most to them, be very clear about who they are and what they stand for and what kind of change they want to make in the province. And, you know, obviously the choosing of a leader is a part of that, but it's not the only part. Um, The successful candidate will be one who can really speak to and mobilize large groups of people around a shared set of ideas. And again, one of the reasons I'm so enthusiastic about uh, Mike as a potential candidate is I think he stands to do that very, very well, um, speaking to people who are traditionally inside the liberal movement, but also people who traditionally have seen themselves being outside or maybe have stepped away over the last couple of elections. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. That was Kate Graham, one of the signatories of the draft Mike letter, giving us the rationale behind the campaign. I'm now joined by Sharon Carr, who disagrees with the strategy. Sharon, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Happy to be here. You've been one of the most vocal critics of the draft like campaign and letter um, that I've seen on social media for the past for the past week. Uh, what about it don't you like? So I'll start off by saying that just just for full transparency, I don't have a whole horse in this race. I've had a couple folks from the the draft Mike campaign kind of accuse me of having a horse. So I don't have a horse in this race. I'm purely speaking from the perspective of someone who is liberal, who is a centrist and is kind of concerned with the direction 
both the federal and the provincial party are kind of going in in terms of moving away from the center. So on that, yes, I've been vocal. I didn't anticipate to be the most vocal of it. I just was sharing my thoughts and views, and I think it caught on to a lot of folks. I think my my biggest concern with this movement is that we have a, a really well-rounded group of individuals who are really well-respected within the party who've decided to take it upon themselves to essentially say that we've lost multiple elections now in a row and that that must mean that the system is broken and because the system is broken we think we need to take it upon ourselves to change it and change the foundations of what being an Ontario liberal is and to that I would say you know it's it's always sucks when you lose but that doesn't mean the system's broken maybe there's an issue with this with the messaging with the candidates with any of that so that's kind of where I've come from. It's it's come come off as a savior complex. Like we're here to save the party. We we need Mike to win the Ontario Liberal Party more seats. We need Mike to be the leader, and that's where I have an issue. That's a, that's an interesting way of, fr- of framing it. That that you know, look at ac- what actually happened over the past uh, the past five years. You had uh, a premier who had been in office for a very long time and had reached a very very low level of popularity, followed by uh a leader that in hindsight a lot of people say well he didn't really have the most you know the charisma or the the the, the personal appeal going up against maybe you know after the previous uh pc candidates the most like a generationally competent <laughs> uh campaigner like like say what you want about Doug Ford he's an excellent campaigner maybe the best campaigner since Mike Harris uh, for for the for the PC party, like it's it's the the odds were really stacked against the Liberal Party. Like you don't have to listen. I've I'm not a I'm not a Doug Ford aficionado of any type. I'm not out here telling the world to vote for Doug Ford. But I think what people forget is that being approachable, being good at retail politics, and be like being a face that people can kind of look at and be like, yeah, you know, I'll have a beer with this guy. It's Doug Ford is very personable, and he's very good at showing who he is authentically. And just putting himself out there and people find that kind of admirable i would say it's like he's he's not pretending to be a talking head he's not pretending to be anybody he's just being himself and anyone who's been around politics long enough to work with doug Ford at different levels know that that's kind of at the root of who he is so sure you don't have to like the politics of doug ford whatsoever but what we should also remember is that he had a very clear message in the last election. It was very retail. It was very focused on things that affect people every single day. And that resonated with people. People, of course, people care about climate change. Most people do. But when you're out there talking about that versus hospital wait times, gridlock in the cities, housing, people associate themselves more with that because that's stuff that impacts them every single day. And that's why I personally think Doug Ford won because he had a message that stood with people and he wasn't trying to complicate things and he was just being himself. He had the the Larry the Cable Guy slogan, the get her done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so just pull, pulling back to, to you know, this hypothetical scenario where Mike comes and decides that he's a, he's a liberal, floor crossings always come with a level of political risk, but they're generally accepted as legitimate. And there's nothing illegitimate about a draft campaign. So what's different in this case? Is it the combination of the two? No. So I think, listen, floor crossings, they happen often enough that everyone is kind of, we're immune to them. We know they happen. They're a news story for a little bit and then they go away. I think the difference here is that there's been talk as of like, I think Steve Pakin wrote a piece late last year, basically saying, this is why Mike should run for the liberals. And that's totally okay. If he wants to cross the floor, he should do it. He should like absolutely do it. 
it would be great for him and be great for the party. He could maybe find a way to find a home in the Liberal Party. The difference here is that he's being drafted to be the leader because a set number of people think the system is broken and he's the only one who can save it. And I know they're going on to say, you know, he's not a savior. He's not like he should have a fight like everyone else does. But when you have key party organizers and and big names in the party who have been at the helm of the power that is the center, kind of trying to draft someone into it, you're setting the stakes against everybody else. And these are people who know how the system works. They know how to make nominations work for people. They know how riding systems work. So when you're putting the power of the organization and the system and the center around one person, you're essentially tell telling everyone else, good luck. And that's not a criticism. Everyone's allowed to be, to to do what they need to do. But these are people who know how the system works and they have been at the center. They're, these are the same people who were kind of around for the last couple of elections and haven't been able to make the gains and are kind of perplexed as to why their, why their math and why their strategy hasn't worked. So now they put their hands up and said, system's broken. Like, well, everything's so broken. what does, what does the letter, like just j jumping on that, what does the letter say to young people in, in the party who have uh, been supportive for a while? It, it does kind of speak to the party's ability to nurture young talent if they're if they have to look outside. I, I I actually don't know if that's the case because everyone that I've talked to who's like a young organizer who's reached out to say this is ridiculous, I can't believe they're doing this. Everyone has said writings have been, they've lost their power, right? Like everything is so centralized and every decision is made by such a set few number of people that people don't feel that there's actually a grassroots ability to kind of make change and get the right candidates and do all this stuff. So when you have when you have people at the center who are controlling nominations across the board, and every party has it. This is not specific to liberals, but when you have the key leadership from the center who is coordinating different different riding nominations and doing all this, it really makes the grassroots feel left out. And you know what? Maybe there is a lot of younger generational liberals who are like, this is great. This is really great because the environment's important. But the Liberal Party is not a one is not a one issue party. The environment is absolutely vital, but it didn't mean that Justin Trudeau had to step down as prime minister and let Elizabeth May come in to get the price on pollution in, in place, right? That was a very liberal, very liberal policy that was put in place by the liberal government. You do not need to have Mike Schreiner come in to put into, I would say, policy things that affect the climate. The conservatives should be doing that. The Greens should be doing that. Blocks should be doing that. Every single party should be focusing on that. So to make it seem like just because he's a Green leader, he's got full ownership of this to me is a bit silly. And it's also saying... Our own party is not good enough to handle it. We got to bring an outsider in. Yeah, just 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 to sticking with like I don't think it's likely that this letter would have gone out without Mike's consent. 100%. Maybe I'm editorializing a little bit. Yeah. So maybe this is some sort of trial balloon. What's his calculus now? Like, is there a world where he stays on as as Green leader? No, listen, I, I don't mean to be cynical, um, but as any of us who've been in politics or have been in the PR world will know that stuff like this is pretty baked at times in terms of how it's done. And whether this was a, how do we, how do we get Mike to come over without it seeming too, I would say random. How do we make it seem like he's got support behind him by the party? How do we make it seem that the party's open and welcome opening our tent? But to me, I think this is a really big mistake that they made. If he wanted to cross the floor and he crossed the floor, that's great. People can go support him and he can run now. But the, per the way they preposition this is that they want the leader of one party to come lead their party because he's he's the only one who can get us where we need to go. So I think it's all about strategy and how they execute it. And I think it was poorly executed. I think it was a bunch of individuals who were like, we we get to call the shots in how this party operates. We've called the shots before. We've held senior roles in this party and in this government. We're going to tell people how to do it and people are just going to follow along. And I don't know, everyone I've talked to, there's some people who are open to it who are like, yeah, you know what, maybe. but 
where does he stand on the economy? Where does he stand on productivity? Where does he stand on growth? Where does he stand on health? Where does he stand on issues that are liberal values for people? Not green. Proponents of the campaign point to similarities between the, the two parties. Um, I've heard it said that in uh, in, in Kitchener-Waterloo, they, they the red and green parties run uh, with each other, not not against each other. Um, and so there is there, there is you know overlap in the policy landscape, but there's an inefficiency of having multiple parties stake the same plot of land in policy. Like this is a problem with the left. Uh, it was a problem with the right historically. What would be a better way to perform, improve the the performance of the of the center left then? Well, I think that we have a fundamental issue of liberalism in this country right now. We have we have people liberal values have been pretty clear people who are who generally identify as a liberal have been very centrist they can be socially progressive and fiscally i would say sound and more conservative but we've seen this federally with the federal liberals shifting very left and we saw this with the provincial liberals back when win was in office they went extremely left as well so what they do is they think that they can win more votes by pulling from the left and kind of leaving the center right kind of to fend for themselves and what they forget is that People who are extremely left are very ideological. I don't know about you, but I know people who are who are hardcore NDP supporters who over their dead body will never vote strategically because they're so ideological that they won't they they think their vote matters in that context. And of course everyone's vote matters. But I think that the Green Party has a lot of has an evolution to go through. What where do they stand on things besides green? I don't think that there can be a green party that governs this country or a province because they've they're, they're single focus. And by definition, they're single focus. And of course, they'll vote on other topics and issues. But of course, climate is important. But so is the economy. So is health care. So is housing. So are all these other things. And I think it could be polarizing for some people to think that this is just a one issue and one topic type of party. So I don't think there's a real solution. I think that the, in, in America, they've got it pretty Democrat, Republican, and they've got that spectrum that people fall in on either sides here. And I think we unfortunately, not unfortunately, we don't have that system here. And it's and it's kind of left certain parties winning because when people get disenfranchised from the center, they'll go more right than they will left. So it's there's no right, there's no right or wrong answer to it. I think it's gonna require a magnitude of evolutions to get there. But I I the green vote is like the green vote got a lot less than the liberals did, if I'm correct, in the last election. So to me, it's weird that we're 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 going after the guy who got even less votes than our own leader at the time. So it's like Unless they've got some data and some numbers that are going to like throw me like over an edge. I don't I just think this was a a PR strategy that wasn't fully thought through. I'm thinking back to Danielle Smith's floor crossing from Wild Rose to the PC party. And two years later, the two parties merged. So maybe I don't know, is like, is there a world where that's the calculus where this is the the first the first domino to fall in uh, unite the left uh, movement it could like it, it could but again we have to remember that the center is not the left there might be common factions that people can agree on but there's still a very like there's a large number of canadians who i would say fall flat dab in the center but because they they can't decide between going a little left or going a little right, they just pick one or the other, right? And then the center gets left there because they feel like they have to go to an extremism. I think Danielle Smith was a good good example. Like, look at what happened when when she did do that floor crossing. It was catastrophic for, I would say, the Wild Rose brand because all this happened. And, and listen, Jim Prentice was a great politician to be able to kind of broker that, but it didn't, it didn't bode well for her at the time. 
and it didn't end well either. So maybe, I think, of course, there's ways for parties to come together. I just think that the Green Party has many, 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 many years before they can get there. Um, and who's to say they merge with the NDP or they merge with the Liberals or maybe all three of them merge together? Who knows? But fundamentally, as long as your policies are not or you're not on the same policy trajectory, you're going to continuously be losing to the guy who's on the right. What do you want to see from the OLP over the next uh, next four years? Um, I'd like to see them giving this next generation a chance. I think we've seen time and time again that it's the old guard that's always calling the shots. There's names on this list who are phenomenally talented people and well-respected, but what they're telling the young crowd now is that they're still the ones calling the shots and they're doing so by slapping their names on these letters. I think what I'd like to see is for the Liberal Party to go back to its foundation of what liberal values are and go back to the grassroots. They need to start from the bottom up. Their focus this last election should have been how to get official party status versus how to be Doug Ford. Of course, that's your always going to be your strategy is to come into power. But they were so caught up in the gimmicks and the the sending a chicken to a Doug Ford event or sending making Mitzi Hunter stand in front of a gravy train like they were so caught up in these visuals that they thought were cheeky, which I thought were immature for many for many people. And they forgot about their grassroots. They forgot about how do they appeal to people at the door. They forgot about focusing on the issues that matter to people. They were so hell-bent on attacking Doug Ford. And you know what he was doing? He was just sticking to his message. He wasn't coming out every day saying Stephen Del Duke is a horrible person. Like that, There's just this dynamic that kind of happened out there and of course your opposition parties and you're trying to win a seat but i think just starting from the bottom up and taking your time and rebuilding like truly rebuilding and kind of doing what the trudeau liberals did back in 2015 just before 2015 right they really put time and effort into growing the grassroots and it just seems like the, the folks right now don't want to do that they just want to jump straight to power Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today no worries anytime Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show was edited by Holden Wine and produced by Thomas Ashcroft, Matthew Barnes, Jeff Costin, Zeus Eden, Jenny McElwain, and Jahan Mohammed. I'm Adam Owen. We'll see you next time.